Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC as your favourite football podcast back for another week and back to analyse the international break as we go into the last period of well tuning things up before the World Cup in just over a month's time. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me is the Rank God Mr Sam Tai. How you doing mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. And of course, our 5x5 five five champion and international man of mysteries, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. You scared me a little bit then. And then I was like, one month? One month to the World Cup? It's two months. It's, it's two months to the World Cup, everyone. It's not just over a month. It's two months. Come on. I'm just excited, <laughs> right? I'm just excited. It's fine. Like, we need to revise for this competition and I need more than a month. So I need two months and that's fine. Well, I took advantage of yesterday's bank holiday in the UK um, for the Queen's Funeral by basically learning loads and loads about some of the teams that uh, I've been allocated for this World Cup. So I've started, I've started my research. I feel like you know you've you've got to when you have you have Saudi Arabia and South Korea, and it's quite hard to read native articles um, <laughs> from, from those countries. So I've started my digging, uh, and I'm very very excited about it. So I'm also very excited about this international break because it's going to be a period of great learning for us and we're going to talk about some of the dilemmas that international managers have some of the log jams in these squads ahead of the world cup which is going to be lots of fun but before we do that of course we've got i'll give you a big tip jack on what? the south korea front son hyun min very important player for them is he yes very very hat tricks off the bench saw him at the weekend but uh yeah he's got a super he's got a superpower he scores hat tricks from the bench well there we go Uh, imagine (laughs) imagine if he's on the bench for the first game of the world cup there'll be uproar Uproar. i think yeah i think it's a good ploy yeah well it would it would definitely seems to wind him up let's just do that it just winds him up yeah and then an angry son is is a player with a point to prove Uh, i've got an angry son well, I don't, yeah, I don't recommend we... them. Yeah, he's, he's two, and he's not, he's not very happy that I'm leaving him alone. That could have been that could have been a thing we love. Um, we've got lots of things we love this week, um, but before that, I think we probably just touched on the fact that um, something that we all loved uh, was Vinicius Junior silencing the Metropolitano after the vile abuse that he's got outside the stadium and also from various people in the world of football this week. Just a horrible, horrible thing for anyone to go through, but let alone a 22 year old who's still coming up in in the world world you know still making his place in this football world for him to to have to deal with the abuse that he's been given this week both by you know an agent and then opposition fans absolutely vast so to see him smiling and dancing and silencing an opposition crowd was, was a real joyful moment i think for everyone so just a first mm-hmm. shout out to vinicius jr what a man bailer vinny bailer um but then over to you dj yeah that that was a great moment for sure um but yeah, my my other thing I love away from that um, was that we've hit a new record for the youngest player in the Premier League, Arsenal's Ethan Waneri. He's 15 years, 181 days old when he made his bow in the Premier League. That's 15 and a half years old in layman's terms. And that is incredible. Um, look, to play, I, I remember when I was 15 and I was like, 
played for a men's team <laughs> and it felt like a really big privilege and like it, it actually was it was like quite hard to get into any even like an your local teams like adult team even if they're not like on the football pyramid it's quite hard to play any men's football at 15 so to play in the Premier League is absolutely ridiculous to be honest and he's beaten Harvey Elliott who was 16 years and 30 days when he made his first appearance for Fulham he smashed Harvey Elliott out of the water he has um, as we said on Patreon on Monday, I'm not sure we can get too much younger than this um, because it just starts to become a bit of a grey area if you start picking 14-year-olds to play in your first team. Um, but look, Arteta's seen something in this kid. He'd had chats with Merta Saka and uh, other members of the Arsenal backroom after he joined up with the first team a couple of times for, for training sessions. And on instinct, he decided to give him a few minutes against Brentford with them 3-0 up. He also had a couple of other 17-year-olds I hadn't heard of, um, Lino Sosa and Royal rule waters so there's a couple more in the pipeline but they are 17 this kid's 15 think back to players like you know Cesc Fabregas Jack Wilshere Theo Walcott obviously was signed but he was still extremely young when he joined Arsenal and started to make his breakthrough they were, they were a huge name yeah I was just talking about Arsenal was particularly but yeah Rooney course, too yeah. um but with all those big names, like there was anticipation of that big moment coming and, and of them making that moment. Even Fulham, like Harvey Elliott, we'd heard of Harvey Elliott for about two or three years before that moment because you knew that you had this kid in the academy that was ridiculous. And like, I'd never heard of this lad. And even some Arsenal fans hadn't heard of this lad. Um, now you dig around now and you find out a bit more. Like this isn't a complete surprise. Um, he wore the number 83 at the weekend, but... Um, that, that, that's not really a reflection of um, the pecking order at Arsenal right now. He's higher than 83 in terms of the eyes of, of people within the club. And look, he plays as a forward generally, anywhere across the front line. He plays as an attacking midfielder on this occasion. There was a good quote actually in the Daily Mail about him and a source had said from Arsenal, he would be the best player even if you played him as a right back because within 10 minutes of playing right back, he would adapt to it and be the best player on the pitch. He is a complete, total footballer. What an amazing quote. Like that, there's mm. just no doubt at Arsenal that this lad is the real deal and he's going to make it at the highest level of football, barring, you know, all sorts of injuries or whatever nightmares could come his way. But like, if all goes well, this kid's going to make it. I'm not sure how much we'll see of him this season. Obviously, you have to be very careful. The general plan, I think, is from to float around the different age groups in the unders. Um, he probably should be in the under 16s, um, playing at school, maybe. But I imagine the Carabao Cup will give us a platform to see him a bit more. And now we'll probably see him a couple of league games too, if school allows it. Um, but yeah, look, generally, this is a really good feel good story. Um, and good luck to him. I just hope this is a very positive moment in his life um, and that he manages to, to use it to his advantage and build on it. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? You know, it, can be. it can be. Yeah. Players chucked in, you know, and suddenly you know, that tag of being, oh, a wonder kid coming through can 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 sit heavy on the shoulders. So let's hope yeah, that go it's back not to his, one of those. his next under 16 or under 18 game. They're like, oh, you think you're big, dear? You think you're the big <laughs> man, dear? 
And he'll probably be like, yeah, I'm going to run absolute rings around you, mate. I've seen a couple of clips of him. He's very, very good. He scored some ridiculous goals. It reminds me a little bit, not obviously not quite in the same way, but that that concept reminds me a little bit of when Marcus Rashford made his England seniors debut before he made his 21s debut and then <laughs> went back to the 21s and scored a hat-trick. And you're like, okay, right, cool, fine. This kid yeah, is, exactly. is special. Everything everything yeah. is going well. Um, yeah, very, very enjoyable. And best of luck to Ethan. Uh, I'm going to move us on over to Spain, where my favourite thing that happened this weekend, and there was lots, it was a wonderful weekend of football, um, was Iñaki and Nico Williams scoring in the same game for the first time for Athletic Club. And it tops an incredible week for them. I'm going to talk a little bit more about about the game and also about their week um, a little bit later on. But it's very rare that you see brothers scoring in the same game. Off the top of my head, I think I remember Gonzalo and Federico Higuain doing it for Inter Miami uh, in MLS uh, not too not too long ago. Uh, and also Eden and Torgan Hazard both scored during qualifying for Euro 2020 for Belgium. But they are both, you know, absolutely sensational. It's kind of things you expect. Um, it's happened in Mexico before, I remember somewhere, and I think it's in the second tier. Uh, we saw Lorenzo and Roberto Insigne scoring for different sides in Serie A. Um, when Napoli played Benevento a couple of years ago as well. But there was something very, very special about this. And I, and I saw Athletic Club tweet um, about this. The first time for 57 years, the two brothers have scored for Athletic in the same game. That time, it was Eneko and Anton Arrieta. Um, mm-hmm. This weekend, Iñaki and Nico Williams scoring for the first time together. And, and also, you know, a, a wonderful week for them because they've both been called up to senior international squads for the first time, but interestingly, to two different squads. Iñaki's yeah. gone off to join up with the Ghana national team after switching allegiances earlier this year for the first time, uh, whilst Nico got his first Spain call-up um, <laughs> from Luis Enrique, which is just amazing. And, and there's some really cool quotes. Um, you know, they asked Luis Enrique about it because obviously Ghana were also interested in bringing Nico Williams with them. Um, and Luis Enrique said, I'm not doing this to stop him going with Ghana. He's a young, very interesting player. He's playing more often with Athletic. He's progressing wonderfully. I like him enormously. He's been in the junior squads and have been following for a long time. I reckon the family would be delighted. Imagine the party if they both go to the World Cup. And if they reach the final, well, that would be the absolute business. So really enjoyed that. Um, but it also means that they're probably going to make their debuts for their rep, you know, their respective international teams a day apart. And now Inyaki is eight years older. Than Nico Williams and and if you've you know read into their story any what Nico Williams has a tattoo of a little lion and its cub and it's supposed to represent him and his brother who basically stepped in as a father figure for him their, their dad went off to work find work in London to basically make you know make sure that the family could could, could be secure and, and had enough money to, to get by whilst the kids were were younger and, and, and Yaki basically took over the kind of parenting duties while their mum was working as well um, was the one taking him to football you know bringing him to school picking him up from school um, mm. and so the the kind of pure joy you see when they both play well or when they score um, and there's an amazing moment when when Nico scores the third goal in this game. It's an absolutely sensational game of football for, for what it's worth. But the way that they jump into each other's arms to celebrate the goal, and it just felt like you know a, a real perfect night. It, it was an amazing, amazing game. Uh, an athletic one, three two against Rayo Vallecano. Um, it felt like a, a proper party at the San Mamés. They gave him this raucous send off 
for their first, you know, international caps. They've, they've split. This will be the first time they've ever played for two different teams across the course of, of the same kind of moment, you know, give, give or take the, the junior squads at Athletic. But it just felt like a real moment and and the whole place was electric for the entire game. The the goals in this game were sensational. Redemel Falcao scored a screamer to make it 3-2. There were four goals disallowed. I think the post got hit three times. Just an amazing, amazing, amazing occasion. Ernesto Valverde has this athletic side absolutely ticking. But yeah, the day belonged to the Williams brothers. And it was just something that I really, really enjoyed watching this weekend. Lovely, lovely. Yeah. Lovely for Nico that. I mean, Luis Enrique announcing the squad while cycling up a mountain was pretty damn good as well. Things yeah. we love is packed this week. Absolutely packed. Mm. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been a good week for football. It's been a good week for football. Okay, I love so we now have the Williams brothers instead of the Williams sisters. That's what I like. That's the thing I love. <laughs> We've moved on. Or just as the Williams name. sisters come to the end of their reign over tennis. We've got the Williams brothers in football to, to take on a new mantle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Sam, over to you. Yeah, the thing I love this week is that finally, finally, Granada getting relegated is going to start paying its dividends. Um, obviously, getting relegated is a total nightmare. You guys were with me when it happened. We were in Lisbon yeah. uh, covering the Portuguese Cup final for New Balance and we were walking through a forest um, outside the National Stadium while Granada were busy drawing nil-nil with Espanyol, missing a penalty and going down as a result. It was rubbish. But glass half full kind of guy as you know me and uh you know one of the benefits of going down into the segunda is that football doesn't pause for internationals because the squads are so unaffected by international call-ups and of course as well the segunda is like a literally like an 11 month campaign they play into like july for some reason or something stupid um so they have to keep going and granada will crack on this weekend we've got las palmas now it's actually quite a bad game to have because las palmas is second Granada a third. Level on points. Both had a good start to the season. It's away from home. And actually our best player this season, Mirto Uthuni, has been called up by Albania. So actually I'm not reaping the dividends at all. We've been disadvantaged. I mean, look, it's a great opportunity for somebody else. And Jack Matias Arezzo, young Uruguayan striker, yep. probably gets probably gets to step in here and, and, and stake his claim for a spot. It's been Uthuni and Kayahon so far, um, and they've been fantastic together. So Arezzo gets a gets an opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to be tucking into the international football, doing my research on my World Cup teams too. But I get a little bit of domestic football just to watch as well, Sunday night, which I'm really looking forward to. And uh, I've got to stay positive. Granada has started well, and they get to crack on through the international break as well. Not all football is paused. Yes, well, not all football is paused because there is an international break and there is international football. Not, Everyone seems not to be all going domestic mad. football is paused. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen the the familiar trope start to play up already on on Twitter. It's like, oh, what am I going to do? Watch the football would be my immediate mm -hmm. suggestion. Um, there's loads never of been a more relevant things. international break. We've actually got a World Cup around the corner. Like this is a good international break. Yes, indeed. And we are going to discuss it in some detail in the second part. We'll be back after the break. Don't go anywhere. Champions League football is back and streaming on Paramount Plus in the US. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration with the biggest stars, top teams and craziest fan bases across Europe. 
Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona and more in football's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time and extra time and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to Ranks AFC, where it's time for our main segment. We are talking international football and more specifically log jams that managers have to work out ahead of the World Cup. Sam, I'm really looking forward to this one, as you might imagine. So I'm going to hand the reins over to you. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of um, positional talent log jams, I'd probably call them. Uh, lots of Lots of international managers probably looking at their squads looking at a nice even distribution of talent across the most the most part of it and then just in one position in particular and and perhaps actually not the most helpful position there seems to be like at least 8 10 and in some cases 20 names 20 players for this one single position and it must be so demoralizing sometimes when you've got big weaknesses and big holes elsewhere and then like 20 players all for one position so we're going to talk through some of those. Um, we're going to talk through some of those biggest log jams and, and maybe how managers are, are dealing with them. I've got a top five and, and I'll start at number five with Argentina's oversupply of number 10s slash support strikers. Is anybody shocked? No, not at all, obviously. <laughs> this is this is what happens <laughs> if you're Argentina. Standard. This is standard. So basically, Argentina tend to produce this kind of player anyway. Um, some of Jack's favourite players of yesteryear have all worn this shirt and played this style. Um, so Riquelme and Pablo Aymar are, are two of the big ones. And obviously, Messi has come to the fore in at the same time as Messi. We've we've seen Dybala rise and, and not really manage to crack into the Argentina squad as well as you ever hoped he would probably because he's too similar to Leo Messi and there's only criticism you really level at most people if you're too similar to Leo Messi (laughs) it's probably a good thing most of the time but in this exact situation it's a bit of a bugger and you're that good you're saying mate your style is unbelievable we've just got the one person in the world that's better than you at this it's like oh yeah really really tough so if it's tough for Dybala then it's even tougher for uh, for Julian Alvarez, for Joaquin Correa, for Angel Correa, for Emi Buendia, for Papu Gomez, for Alexis McAllister, for Gio Lo Celso, for Tiago Almada. And, you know, Lautaro Martinez also kind of falls into this category as well. Um, so there's oh, Manuel Lanzini as another one. I mean, it's not quite in the same tier, but, you know, you're talking about 15 players here who can all play this position to a really high standard. And... Um, if you're any of the other thirteen, you're in you're in a bit of trouble here. What um, Scaloni has done really really well is try to rework some of these players into different positions. Now, this is part of the reason why I've put them at number five, is because he's managed to allow Messi and Lautaro to coexist relatively well, and the same can be said for Messi and Gio Lo Celso, who has also been sort of shifted out of position, but to good effect. Now, not all international managers manage to do this with any success. So, well done to Argentina for doing so, and. That's a big part of the reason why they've actually been so successful over the last 18 months. But yeah, if Argentina do get an injury to Messi, obviously it's a disaster. But having to call on Paolo Dybala is not such a bad thing, I'd say. And Argentina's number 10 situation is pretty rich with talent, as usual. Who got uh, so? Who got Argentina lads in the, in the previews? Did. So I you've did. got the uh, so you're going to get number to watch. one overall pick, Argentina. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's literally the first overall pick, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, Jack, you're the guy. Then come on, you've done all the research. <laughs> Go. 
Well, I've been, uh, you know, as you kind of alluded to, Sam, I've been quite impressed with Argentina's ability to kind of get around this in recent times. And actually, one of the one of the keys is, as you say, the fact that Julian Alvarez and Lautaro Martinez, whilst on paper, I'd agree, are both similar-ish, are, are far more suited to this nine role than mm. than perhaps others are. And and actually, the way that Argentina is set up in in recent times, I think has been has been very impressive uh, across the course of you know when, when they needed to to get things done, they've made it work. And you know whether that it be you know Nico Gonzalez coming out and, and and kind of being an out and out winger and that really helping the balance of this side. Correa's played wide at times as well. Um, but I think really what's what's really been crucial to this is actually finding a pivot that works for Argentina because for so long they've been trying to shoehorn all of this attacking talent in. And this is part of the problem, right? In that they were like, okay, we'll just play one defensive midfielder and then just flood the top of the pitch with all the amazing talent we have. Um, but of late, they've started to be able to field a, a side that, that makes a little bit more sense tactically. And whether that be Leandro Paredes or Guido Rodriguez alongside or Rodrigo de Pau or a Gila Celso in a little bit of a deeper role, it's kind of given them the the freedom to play a sort of four two three one, a sort of four three three, with with the power being slightly more advanced, um, and allowing these players to actually have a structure to work within, rather than hoping that the idea is give the ball to to Leo Messi and and, and hope he just does something magic with him. And look, most of the time he does, um, but it hasn't got them to where they wanted to be in terms of a World Cup. And the reason I think that they are better equipped this time round is because it feels like there's an element of structure to the midfield behind this this Argentina log jam if you will in front of them and the fact that they have you know at least one out and out winger in in Nico Gonzalez is is a good thing I think for how this team you know sets up and how they how they go go forward with this but it's going to be very interesting to see how this front line looks on that first day at the World Cup and whether it is you know, Alvarez or whether it is Dybala or, or whoever steps up into that into that zone to kind of make to make this kind of tick in in many ways. Yeah. I mean you look at the the, the forwards that they've called up for this international break. It's it's Julian Alvarez, Leo Messi, Joaquin Correa, Paolo Dybala, who may be injured now so may have to be replaced, Lautaro Martinez and Angel Correa. So six players, not not a single one of them is if you ask them what their ideal position is, is a num- an actual number nine. There is no Iguain, there is no Icardi, there is no player like uh, this. That anymore. might be slightly harsh on Alvarez, who very much was a number nine in his last role. Now he's obviously played more wide city, but he was very much a nine at, at River. I think he wants. To, I think he prefers to be the support of the two, like a lot like Joaquin Correa. Um, I don't think we have a, a poacher here, and that's not a, that's not a problem because Scaloni has done such a good job of of working around this and, and and redistributing the players in different positions. Like it works. Argentina are are one of the favourites for the World Cup, so they've actually managed to to sort of overcome this logjam, which is which is fantastic. And a lot of Argentina managers in the past have just not managed to do it at all. Yeah, no, I'd agree. It's going to be a very interesting one to see who does get the nod in that final World Cup squad. Okay, Sam, let's go to number four. Okay, number four is England's right backs. I think (laughs) one of the hallmarks of this discussion. Um, It was about two years ago that people started to point out that actually England have an absolutely absurd right back depth chart. Um, From that time to now, it's got a bit weaker. We've lost a few. We've lost a few to different nationalities. You know, it's much harder to filter uh, right backs into the team than forwards. I mean, Gareth Southgate does his best. 
um, you know, tries to field at least three at any one time. But yeah, it's much harder to get these guys into other roles than it is, say, for example, Argentina's number 10. So with Carl Walker, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kieran Trippier and Reese James, there's your top four. Just ridiculous amount of talent. You go a little bit further down, Carl Walker-Peters is excellent. James Justin, if you can refine his form, excellent. We've lost Tariq Lamptey and we've lost Matty Cash. And I don't think we're going to get Jeremy Fringpong. There's three right backs that have gone. But you still go, you still go a little bit further down. You've still got the opportunity for Tina Livramento to step up from injury. You've got Jed Spence rising forward. You've got Max Aarons, who's been pretty good. Aaron Wan-Bissaka. These are all, all right backs. Uh, ben Johnson most, at West Ham. No, no one wants to play right back. And yet we have a billion of them. Jaffet Tanganga, if you want to go even further. And Tavernier at Rangers. Not Luke a bad Ailey. player at all. Uh, I, I drew the line at Luke. <laughs> Sorry, Luke. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's a lot of them. It, we've actually, we're actually not in as, as fine a position as we were because Lamptey and Cash have gone. But it's still an absolutely embarrassment of riches there for, for right back. One of surely the least popular positions in past, but not not in the future because of the modern game and the way it's it's changed. Being a right back is super fun now. And I think you can see that reflected in some of these uh, some of these talent pools. Yeah, I mean, it's still the option. Obviously, Trippier plays left back. Like that's that's the yep. other question mark for for Southgate. He's done it before. It wouldn't surprise me if he he was to do it again. I think Reese James is probably going to be his number one hope right so. back. Um, I hope so too. Do what like Trent's the big one, isn't it? Like it's a bigger mission if he doesn't go with him. Um, Kyle Walker is a bit more versatile, yeah, um, than Trent would be. Um, you've got. I don't know. I'm not convinced about Trent. I'm really not. Well, Trent, well, Trent's got problems, hasn't he? Because he's got... So you've got Walker, who can play right centre-back or right back. Yeah. Um, so he's adaptable from a four to a three. So he's can Reese. He's got... So can Reese. And then Walker's got this relationship with John Stones from years and years and years together at club level. Mm-hmm. Trippier is super versatile too and a set-piece master. So he gets in. And Reese James is our best player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's it. And then if Trent was really staking a claim for this squad, then, you know, he's not doing a great job of it early this season where he has had a tough start. He's had a tough start and it's, you know, like going forward, like obviously like he's crossing and all that stuff. Like he's, he's brilliant. He's still a brilliant footballer. I'm not questioning that at all. But like there are those defensive flaws and they're going to be exposed at a World Cup. Like, and that's, that's the problem. Well, it depends like, if England go with this, you know, wing-back system or not, I suppose. Um, yeah, we don't know. We'll have to see what Southgate's got in mind. And hopefully we get a better idea over this international break about what, what the plan's going to be now. Um, I think things have probably changed a bit since since the, um, the Euros. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it's, it's a fascinating one. Trent, I mean, Trent can play centre midfield. I know that experiment didn't work very, very well for for England in the past. And he's also got the, you know, the set pieces in his locker, Sam. So there is that in in his favour. And I'd be absolutely stunned if he doesn't go to the World Cup. But the question is going to be whether he whether he plays or not. And and that's going to be the that's going to be the tricky one because if England are lacking creativity, which has been has been levelled at at Gareth Southgate's side from time to time, and Trent isn't playing. (laughs) then the immediate question is going to be, well, you've got one of the most creative players in the world from a position out on the on the right and you're not using him. How does that stack up with England not creating chances? So it's going to be incredibly interesting to see how this one plays out. I mean, I think there'll be a, well, definitely a Trent might have to join the queue there. Yeah, like, would you take him though? Because like, if you've got Walker, Trippier, 
and Reese James, who can all play right back, then why would you take another right back when that could open up a spot for you to take another player that's more versatile elsewhere? Like that's, for me, that's the big decision. Like if he's going to go, he needs to play because there's no point taking him if he's yeah. not going to play because that spot could go to somebody else who who can be more useful as a squad member because the chances of having three injuries to right backs is is pretty slim. And yeah, I know yeah. I said Trippier could start left back, but like they'd also take at left backs. So yeah, I, I, th- I honestly think it's a big decision as to whether you even take him. Yeah, I, I think like if he, if he doesn't go, the player that goes in his place will be a much worse player individually. Yeah. But it will be more used to a squad. So like it will be like uh Ollie Watkins or something. Like a di- like a completely <laughs> I was who you're gonna fit. You had a tough decision then. Which name yeah, I had to pick out? some yeah. yeah, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be a, like a striker with a distinctly yeah. different profile to the one that you have. Ivan or Tony. Like a, a, it might be an Ivan yeah. Tony gets it. It's like just to make a difference maker, you know? Yeah, a cre- like a creative player. Like um, I'd rather see Madison go and get ten minutes off the bench rather than a fourth right back who doesn't go. That's that's the sort of situation yes. that Trent is in. Yeah. Anyway, tricky. Anyway, let's move on to number three. And speaking of fullbacks, Spain's left back situation is absolutely hilarious. Left back is supposed to be one of the most difficult positions to fill in any squad, partially because. In the past, no one has wanted to play it, partially because the distribution between left footers and right footers in the in the game is seriously, seriously lopsided. Left footers are much, much harder to find. Apparently not the case in Spain. Jordi Alba is still seemingly the number one there. They have Jose Gaia, who Luis Enrique really likes. Regulon, Marcus Alonso, Alejandro Balde. Cucurea is the sixth player on my list here. Not necessarily sixth best, but the sixth one I thought of. Angelino, Grimaldo, Alex Moreno of Real Betis, Javi Galan, Juan Bernat, remember him, Pedraza, Sergio Gomez, now of Man City, Johnny, if you're really stuck, Juan Miranda, and 15 names down, Yuri Bashiche of Athletic, still really, really good, would play for most national teams, but he's got 14 dudes that are just a bit better somehow. How the hell have Spain managed to do this? I don't know, but I've got them as one of my teams that I've got to be an expert in, so I need to find out. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know who they start with in the first game. Like, who's, who's the likely starter? Yeah, presumably know. Alba. Um, I presumably, think he's of, yeah. I think he's he's on not the starting for Barcelona. No, no <laughs> he's not. No, he's not. Not anymore. So we'll have to see. Uh, Lucho's always liked Gaia. I remember at the Euros, they sort of rotated Gaia in where possible to give Alba a bit of a rest. Um, but Alba's always been relatively important. To, to the Spain setup and the way they move the ball. So I still think it's him. But like, if you're Cucurea, you're like, I'm a £60 million left back. I play for Chelsea. <laughs> I can't get in this team. Mm. This is outrageous. Oh, yeah. I can't believe it. There's so, there's so many bits and bobs here, but it, it does feel like Cucurea yeah, isn't the locked in starting left back for Chelsea. It doesn't feel like Jordi Alba is getting that much game time at Barcelona. It's all just a bit that there's lots going on here in that it's that they have a, a, a glut of options, as you say, but none of them are in, you know, Jose Gaia aside who starts every week. There is a bit of a, oh, okay, do, you know, are they going to go with the tried and tre- tested or are they going to go with players who are actually informed? Because actually, if they're playing with players who are informed, Alex Moreno should be in this conversation because he's been absolutely sensational for Betis this week, this year so far. And 
and but I just don't see it happening. And, and that's a really strange position to be in. Yeah, I think Moreno and Grimaldo are the two most informed Spanish left backs. Um, and I don't think either of them are going to go to I the World Cup. I don't think either of them are going to make the squad. I think it will be Alba and Gaia, and then they'll have to make a call between like Balde and Alonso or something. Um, at least Gaia's playing every week, and Valencia are doing it quite a lot better than I suspected they would. So there's there's that to hang on to. Gaia's never really let Spain down, so that's okay. But yeah, there's a and, lot and of nor, them. Nor, a is, lot of nor them. is Jordi Alba, to be fair to him. No. Like, no. The, the, you know, the, maybe they're going to go with that experience and, and let kind of younger players do their thing first the forward but you know I suppose there is this element of, of players that managers trust implicitly yeah. and I think that with with these players we're, we're talking about a you know a set of, of players especially Gaia and Alba as you say who Lucho just completely and utterly believes in no matter how they're playing at club level and you know but there will be questions if they they do get picked and then it all goes a bit you know south so we'll see. Mm, yeah. yeah, so Spain have Switzerland and Portugal in this international break, which is, of course, UEFA Nations League um, fixtures for European teams. But um, so, yeah, especially that second game, the Portugal game, that's a tasty one. Yeah, well, it's good that Spain don't have a log jam up top because we all know that the Panda is going to be starting all of these games. Go on, <laughs> go on Borgia. This is, this is what everybody's pleased with. So and that could have been things we love on its own. Borgia Iglesias' call up to the Spain squad. The Panda has been chewing on defences. A goal a game this season so far. Um, well, that's in- that Spain-Portugal game is going to be a bit of a left-back off because Portugal, I think Guerrero has, has, has got injured. And, you know, we were all sort of we're all wondering when Nuno Mendes is going to like fully, fully 100% take over this spot. This is an absolutely massive opportunity for Nuno Mendes over this, uh, this final international break with, with Guerrero out of his sights. And it's a massive opportunity for any of the Spanish left-backs to figure it out on their side too. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's roll onwards. Okay, number two is Brazil's wingers or attacking mids. Basically, this attacking midfield line is absolutely crazy. I think... Our number one is, is in terms of quantity is absurd, but our number two here in Brazil, like the last name on my list that I'm going to read off in a moment is so good. It is absolutely ridiculous. So we start with Vinicius Jr. and Rafinha, Martinelli, Richarlison, if you want to use him wide, Anthony, Rodrigo. Why have I put Neymar eighth? Neymar, <laughs> uh, Coutinho, Paqueta, if you want to use him wide. Gabby Barbosa, if you want to use him wide. Felipe Anderson is like 10th. David Neres, Tyres Magno, Lucas Moura, if you're getting desperate, Malcolm. And the last one that I could think of was Tete at Leon, who was absolutely on fire. Yeah. He's doing brilliantly. That's like 17 names. Andreas Pereira. I'm going to say, hang on, mate. <laughs> no, on not quite there. <laughs> not quite there. What's in the way he's been pressing this season? Yeah, no, I have. Yeah. Uh, this is a crazy. I mean, like, but in terms of just like the, the opening salvo, like the actual squad, let's say they take seven wingers. It's going to be Neymar, Vinicius, Rafinha, Martinelli, Anthony, Richarlison, maybe Coutinho, possibly someone else it is absolutely crazy like in terms of the quality stacked into that squad and even Mm. just the guys that have absolutely no hope in hell could walk into most teams in Europe I find that astonishing Uh, it's a hell of a position to be in but yeah Christ poor these these guys these guys down here like Lucas Moore and Malcolm they just have no chance absolutely no chance at all imagine having to make the call on leaving some of those out 
Right. Who will go? Who will go? What's, what, what would be your immediate thoughts on this? Uh, you'd imagine they're going to take five or six of these players. They'll take maybe Neymar. a couple. They'll maybe, take Neymar. Drekken might be a rogue. Yeah, he's in good form. Rogue call. Yeah. He's in good form. Um, but, you know, you, they might take, well, let's say if you include players who can play as a number Hang nine. Hang on, you didn't like say Gabby Jesus. He plays wide for Brazil, well, doesn't he? Well, he's not even in the latest squad, so it's going to be interesting. <laughs> he'll, but He'll go. He'll go. But he'll I'll go. go. I'm guessing. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that he he migrates to a forward role, um, but we'll have yeah. to see. They've got questions up there as well, man. It's just that obviously the 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 depth the depth chart for Brazil's like not seemingly nominated strikers dips off to sort of Roberto Firmino and Mateus Cunha relatively yeah. quickly, who are good players, but well, Cunha uh, can play wide as well. <laughs> yeah, he can. Yeah, <laughs> he could. Um, a, they've got Neymar and Richarlison and Vinny Junior, uh, Rafinha. Anthony and Rodrigo. That's as I enough. Think, Just leave I think, it there. I think wingers in this current squad, uh, which would leave out Martinelli, who seems to have been given a bit of a breather, which would make that seven. And I think then there could be room for one more again. I, I don't know. We'd have to see. Uh, but that's that's just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Some of the names not going there are just lunacy in in mm. so many ways. But what what a what a talent. Also, the nice thing about the Celestial, and I, I tweeted about this the other day, was the the feeling of togetherness about this squad. Now, obviously, we've seen a lot of players doing the the Vinny Junior dance after scoring. Saw Gabby Jesus do it at, at Brentford at the weekend. Uh, we've seen a lot of tweets. You know, from you know, when you when you've got Barcelona players tweeting in support of Real Madrid players, you know, um, you, you know, there's a sense of camaraderie around yeah. this Brazil side. We saw that from Rafinha. We saw it from Neymar. There, there's been a lot of love between this this Celestial side at the moment. And I think that's what stands them in such good stead ahead of this tournament. You know, the two South American, you know, heavyweights, if you will, of of Brazil and, and Argentina feel like they're in a really good shape coming into this World Cup. Now, obviously, we know that can fall apart, you know, with, with a tournament and, and especially if, if the pressure starts to build in the group stages. But just on paper ahead of this tournament, the the feeling of togetherness around the Celestial I think is what gives me the most hope about Brazil being excellent at this World Cup. Yeah, I think so. So what from what I remember from the Copa and, and a couple of games after that from Brazil, it was four four two ish, I think you could say. Um they or maybe you could say Neymar was the support striker there and it's more of a four two three one, but I think they're gonna end up with Neymar supporting Gabi Jesus, and I think they're gonna end up with Vinicius on the left, and then they have to pick a player for the right. And it's either going to be Rafinha, Richarlison, Anthony, or Martinelli. <laughs> or Rodrigo. <laughs> or Rodrigo. Oh. Well, I can tell you that um, I've got the official World Cup sticker book in front of me. Mm. And Rodrigo and Martinelli, nowhere to be seen. Oh. So I can exclusively reveal they don't make the squad. They do what, not make the squad. What um, do they know? No, what do Panini trade, know? Trade, that's it. They, there's no room for them in this sticker book. So. One of my favorite things about the sticker books is when you get players who just don't get to the World Cup who are in it. And, well, it's uh, funny when you get one and you're like, there's no chance this person's going. Like, this person's not even in the reckoning right now. Yeah, no, yeah. They have to decide it at a certain point in advance, don't they? And oh, it um, must be a nightmare to put together, to be honest. Usually, usually, like two, two or three people get injured, don't they? The um, I always look at the England squad and there's like three people out with like serious injuries who are all in the squad and stuff like that. It always happens. Um, yeah. it's, it's, I think, I think they, they once like sort of told us that the, the sticker book people Panini once said like, oh yeah, basically we have to decide in March ahead of June world cup. 
so we speak to some people and see what we can do and so two months is such a long time yeah definitely I'm just looking at the England squad now to see if there's any well Luke Shaw's in it he's probably not going to go he might without anyone else he might you do you have Chilwell and and, and, and King King of North London Ryan Sessignon as I said Calvin Phillips and Harry Maguire maybe they've done they've They've done a good job. Of it that. seems yeah, relatively so one impossible job. In, in, England, England is the one that I would assume the Panini are going to get 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 best at. You know, this yeah. is the one that they probably know the best. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to number one. It's France's centre back glut. Mm. <laughs> this is absurd. I'm just going to read off the names: um, Varane, Pavard, Kunde, Upper Meccano, Saliba. Lucas Hernandez, Kimpembe, Badiashil, Konate, Longley, Zuma, Fafana, Omari, Kalulu, Lukeba, Bade, Diakate, Lacroix, Lenormand, Soleil, Indica, Nianzu, Simakan, Mtiti, and Disassi. 25 names, I think, roughly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, basically, if there's a scenario where France's best 20 centre-backs all get injured on the same day, they would have to put, let's say, Robin Lenormand, who plays every single week for Real Sociedad, and Mohamed Simakan, who plays every single week for RB Leipzig. That's like their 21st and 22nd best like centre-backs. That's like the, the, the 11th choice pairing. I mean, what the hell? What the hell? I mean, France have got good depth in a lot of areas, and but to be fair, there are places like centre mid where they're really struggling. But centre back is just an endless stream of quality. All of these guys are playing top five leagues consistently, except for Umar Soleil, who plays for Salzburg consistently to a very high level. This is absurd. I cannot believe this. And Didier Deschamps has to pick not only only about six to take, but Probably three less. to start. Well, I know yeah. Deschamps will take nine. So negative, yeah. He'll take yeah. nine of them, but um, yeah, he's got to take. He's got to pick three to start, and he's got to take about six or seven of them to to go. I think this must be one of the hardest jobs in football. Yeah, we give him a lot of of grief at times, Deschamps, but you know he he does have an incredibly like ta- onerous task that I don't I don't resent at all. You know, there's even things like Saliba, the way that he's playing at Arsenal. It's like this the the re. Uh, a key reason Arsenal are top of the league right now is because of him, yep. like defensively and offensively. Like he scored a couple of like important, decent goals and he's like made that defence so much tougher that you can't ignore him. Like he's top of the no. Premier League. Well, he's actually already, he's already got five caps. You know, he's actually, yeah, he's been, exactly. he's, been so in... he's had a look in too. So like he's going, he's probably going. Yeah. He's, He's going 100%. He's There's going, going to I be mean, big names missing out, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, this is a really, really bad time for Kimpembe and Lucas Hernandez to pick up injuries. Really, really bad time. And it's also really tough for, for Deschamps, actually, that, that it happens to be the two best left footers that they've got who have got injured. And and that's probably why Badia Shield has, has ended up in the squad. He's uncapped so far, but he's left-footed, plays for Monaco, very good player. So he's been brought in for the balance. I mean, after Badia Shield, I'm looking down the list for the next left footer. Um, it's actually quite hard to find. Um, it might be Indica. It might be back to Longley. You know, it might actually be that. But to have five, 
five left-footed centre-backs of top of top tier quality that you can call upon is is un, is unheard of really. Deschamps mm. has lost his, his two best left-footers and he's still got three more to choose from. Any other nation is is starting to look towards the under twenty ones there. Um, which is absolutely amazing. Um, of course, they've still got Kunde and Pavard and Varane and Upper Meccano and Saliba there. I think Saliba's going to go. He's def- I think he's definitely going to go. Um, and he might. we might even see Kunde play right wing back and see Pavard right centre back. He might, I don't, he might think, put I, I don't think I like that. Well, it's harsh on Jonathan Klaus, who has you know, been so good for the last 18 months or so and is now playing uh, at, Mar- at Marseille at a really recognised level. But, it's Deschamps. He probably, probably will. Yeah, well, that is true. That is true. Um, also, if you have this many centre backs, you've got to get as many into the team as possible. Stick them up front. Zuma up front. Yeah, yeah, I'd like that. I, I mean, I'd be very surprised if Kurt Zuma goes. I'll be honest. <laughs> I think yeah. that, that, that's that's what no, I'm he won't. Be... No, he won't play up front. No. Yeah, and Samuel Umtiti's playing as well. He's back playing as well. So um, you know, maybe yeah. maybe he's got an outside shout of of getting back in the mix I, I, again. I'd be surprised, but um, <laughs> but you know, Deschamps has seen weirder things happen. He was he was the centre back when they won it in Russia, wasn't he? So it's yeah. it's going to be very intriguing to see how he goes with this. But I agree, I think that that shift of three at the back for France has it's partly to do with the fact that we're like, well, we just need to get more of these players in. This is absolutely ridiculous. Um, so so yeah, he's he's got a tricky job, a tricky ask there. Um, I think Didier Deschamps, but he, he well. What a problem to have in so many ways. What a problem to have. Well done, Sam. Very good. Very, very no, good. That was fun. That's a good way to get started. Well, what was the, the problems that we're going to see trying to be ironed out over the course of this international break? So if you were wary of, of watching these games and trying to work out what they mean, there's five reasons to try uh, and, and see how these managers look to iron out these log jams in their squad. It's going to be an intriguing one. Um, but yeah, very good ranking, Sam. Well done. Thank you. Okay, after the break, we have got the medal of the week and a slightly confused gibberish ranking. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranked FC. It's the third and final part of this podcast. And for everybody's favourite part of the week, I'm going to hand you over to Mr. Dean Jones. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Nice Defender. Jean-Claire Tadebo. <laughs> oh, dear. Yep. So, game starts. Nisa playing Andre. Andre, kick off. Start on the offensive. The first kick goes forward and the guys, they had to take a two-man kick off, which do not see that often. Passes to him. Passes the ball out wide. Third pass comes into the guy in the middle. It's um, it's Abdelassima. Abdelassima thinks, oh, I have to get a gap here. I'm going to try and burst into the box, takes a touch, goes to go past Tadebo. Tadebo trips him up, gets a red card. Nine seconds. <laughs> he was sent off after nine seconds. Three passes had happened in the game and he was sent off. I'll be honest, it's a little bit harsh. Tadebo himself is absolutely fuming about this. He thinks that the setup that they were in, like there was there was teammates that could easily have got around to cover and it probably wasn't more than a yellow. His quotes actually were, a decision without reason that shocks me and which condemns my team to start the match with a big disadvantage. The decisions of referees at the start of this season are very questionable, even scandalous. I hope that the LFP will do something to remedy this. Well, he's suspended now, so I can't do anything about that. That'll kick in after the international break. Um, 
He didn't have a great time at Barcelona, did he? And this ain't, this ain't going much better. Um, he's getting nice. he's getting better. Uh, he is he is improving as a player. He's well, I don't know. He didn't get sent off after nine seconds at Barcelona. That's because <laughs> no, he didn't I'm play. I'm harsh. I'm harsh. <laughs> he didn't play. Um, yeah, it's he's actually flitted around quite a few different teams, hasn't he? Now, uh, Tony, yeah, yeah, yeah. trying try to find his trying to find his look. It is a really it is a harsh sending off. I think that there are at least two players who can probably cover cover the gap. Um, yeah. But it's proper I, I dumb. I don't, yeah, it's stupid, That's obviously. the thing, though, isn't it? Like, yeah, you probably are right there. Uh, yeah, maybe, mate. But what are you doing? Well, I don't think Nice were ready to start the game. <laughs> like, that's what I'm wondering. What were Nice <laughs> doing? Because well, it's, it's quite, um, I, I feel like this is relatively representative of Nice's start to the season, which has been just absolute chaos. Like, there have been some good performances, some dreadful performances. This team doesn't really know what it looks like yet. Um, and no, just and sign it, random players. It, it just is all a bit all over the place. And this this felt very on brand for Nice's yeah. start. They lost 1-0, by the way, everyone. They they lost the match 1-0. Which so is considering they, they played 90 minutes with, with 10 men. I, I think Angers had a man sent off as well, didn't they? They so. did later on in the game, yeah. yeah. But um, so we, Angers, we, who once were tipped to come fifth in last year's uh, Ligue 1, <laughs> and they didn't quite make, the, uh, didn't quite make that up. Mm. I mean, look, it's been a bit of a pandemic of red cards, hasn't it, in uh, well, in France? Because they've we've now had thirty four red cards in Liga, and also there have been forty five red cards in Ligue 2. We're only six weeks in. Yeah, it's the a league lot. of talents they call it. The league, yeah. change that. <laughs> <laughs> change that. The league of cards. <laughs> yeah, the, the league of ten men. Um, it, the, the league of ill discipline, we'll call it. Well, this is it. Well, because we're we're not going to do a, a normal gibberish today, and um, we're actually going to do. A gibberish made up of honourable mentions for other dumb red cards that were uh, <laughs> handed out this weekend. So I'm going to just walk you through uh, three of my honourable mentions um, as as opposed to a gibberish. And third in this list uh, is Mario Hermoso uh, of Atletico Madrid. Now there is an argument that his actual red card he got two he got two yellow cards in very very quick succession was a little bit harsh. Um, now, Mario Hermoso had one of the wildest sort of 10-minute cameos uh, I've ever seen in, in a game of football in the Madrid derby this weekend. He came on, he scored a very, very fortunate, e- uh, not equaliser, a goal to, to put it back to 2-1. Um, and, and then he saw a tackle um, by Danny Carvajal. And in injury time, with Atleti chasing a goal to equalise in this game, he decided to start a mass brawl by basically going over and like <laughs> screaming in Carvajal's face and pushing him around a little bit, um, which Real Madrid, I'm sure, were like, well, thanks very much. That'll eat up two minutes off the clock um, yeah. as he does this. Then, you know, with the referee watching him, because he's clearly lost his head, um, he's gone over and just started this for absolutely no real reason. It's a pretty innocuous tackle. You know, it is a foul, um, but it, it's not a, It's not one of those that's going to hurt anyone. It's just it's just a, a trip to basically stop the, the play breaking up. And um, he then goes into the uh, into the box for a corner that did he have, and he shoves Danny Ceballos to the floor. Now Ceballos makes a lot of it. Let's be honest, but equally, it's one of those where. He's just given the referee a decision to make. And he knows, surely he knows that the referee is watching him because he's just decided to randomly start a fight in the middle of the pitch for almost no reason. Um, and the referee duly sends him off uh, for, for his shove on Zabaya. So, yes, a little bit harsh, but just pure idiocy in, in order to, to, to start this in the mm. first place, to 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 
start a fight that wastes time as you're chasing for an equalizer and then decide to randomly shove someone over when you are being watched by the referee, uh, Melon, Mario Hermoso. Uh, at two, I've gone for Angel Di Maria. Again, mm. some people will question this is harsh. Mm. He randomly in the in the game against Monza for Juventus decides about halfway through, well, towards the end of the first half, he throws an elbow, lashes out with an elbow into the chest of a Monza defender, Izzo, who you know does make a meal of it, we'll be honest. He, he goes down and there's a lot of things. Uh, but Angel Di Maria gets a straight red card. Right, let's talk about this because... You are Juventus. You are having a bit of a nightmare, full stop at the moment. You In the last game, Milik was sent off for celebrating. A goal didn't count. And in the brawl that ensued, your manager was sent to the stands and Quadrado was sent off as well. So he's on a three-match ban. Allegri's on a stand ban. Milik's on a one-game ban. So what do you do as one of the senior players in this side brought in to bring experience? Decide to throw an elbow at a defender in a game that is nil-nil. Put yourselves right back under the cosh and give yourself a three-game ban while you're at it. Absolute moron. Like, what on earth are you doing? And look, again, I don't really care if it's harsh or not. This is stupid. It's one of those things where you're looking at it and going... And help, like you've been brought in to, to be a leader in this dressing room. You've been brought in to be, you know, one of the guys. You've been brought in to be, you know, someone to, to give an example to the younger players in this team. And that's how you're doing it. There's a dark haze over Juventus at the moment. And everyone just seems to be losing their heads. And, and ultimately, this was the latest symbol of that. But I thought this was was just proper idiocy from him. So he's going right in the melon category as well. Um, and top of this list, uh, I would like to give pride of place to Shoya Nakajima, who made his debut for Italia Spore this week in the Super League. He moved over from Porto this summer. It was a joyous occasion. Came on after about 59 minutes. Uh, the cameras cut to his family, all in the crowd, going mad, delighted he'd come on. 20 seconds after he came on, he decided to basically tackle someone's studs up. Um, was given a yellow card. It was changed to a VAR, uh, to, to a red card very quickly. And he trapes his back off the pitch with his head in his hands. And the camera cuts back to his family. <laughs> who were just all there like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> well, we've all come here to watch our, you know, watch the boy have his, have his moment in the sun to, to watch him make his debut for Antalya Sport. And uh, that's how he repays them with a straight red card after 20 seconds um, after coming off the bench. It wasn't nine seconds, <laughs> um, but it was as a substitute. So I'd argue there's a, it's a terrible challenge, an absolutely shambolic, shambolic challenge. And he's like, can't understand why he's been sent off. You're like, mate, you watch that back. If that had happened to you, you would have been livid. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, so, that's the thing. Yeah, he and another one, absolute melon. What are you up to, you nut job? So, yeah, wow. there was a lot of them this weekend. Look at all yeah. these melon candidates and Hull's defenders have got off scot-free here. Honestly, uh, unbelievable. It was just one of those. If, if you haven't seen the defending in the Hull City game at the weekend, it is comedy like pure comedy and uh, well worth going to check out. There's an account on, on Twitter called No Context Hull City that has it. It's uh, basically defenders running into each other. One of their centre-backs pretending he's fouled, doesn't realise it's his own keeper that's come across the back of his legs uh, and it leaves a tap-in, an open goal for their opponents. It is real, real quite, quite kind of like, it's pretty special. It's like slapstick stuff. You can imagine like over the background, be like, that kind of, that kind of like kind of amusement. But yeah, I don't know how they've got away with one, but there was enough melons this week to, to allow whole city to, to slide under the radar. Yeah. Just about. 
very much so okie dokie mm-hmm. on that bombshell i think we are going to call this a day uh, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to mr sam tai cheers buddy Thank you very much, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. We hope that you all enjoy the international break. There is plenty, as discussed, to get your teeth into ahead of this World Cup in, as I was corrected, two months' time. Thank you so much for listening, as ever, and we will see you next week. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>